This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. As a church family. So this is an exciting time for us, a time of growth, um, a time of making uh, more seats available for more people from our city to come and to experience community with us and to worship Jesus with us. And so it's a great time for us, but it's also a great time for us to get ready and to understand what church is all about. Um, so, so far in this series that we have, we've talked about the words, first week we talked about belong. That you belong here, you belong in the family of God, but then there's also other people that aren't here yet, that belong in the family of God, that belong at church. In the second week we talked about believe. What do we believe as Christians? We, we mentioned one main important thing there, and then last week we talked about be. That we are supposed to be the church, not just consume church um, and not just attend services, which is important, um, but we're supposed to be the church. We are supposed to be Jesus representatives uh, in 2016 uh, here in, com- in community and then also in our community that we can be the church. And now today we're going to be talking about building, that we are supposed to build the church. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So as we've been talking about all series, that our, our place in the church, our, this gift of being a, a Christ follower... Um, that Jesus calls us as individuals to receive him as Lord and Savior, to receive his salvation. But then, along with that, is this call into community, and that community is the church. That's what the word church means. The word in the Greek is ecclesia, it's the called out ones, but it's also the gathering. We're supposed to gather together. As uh, with other Christ followers, we're supposed to get together and say, hey, collectively, we follow Jesus. And not only do we follow Jesus, we do things in the name of Jesus to be a blessing to our community. So we're talking about our connection to one another and then our connection to those outside of the church. So as today we're talking about building the church, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Now we, um, I, as I mentioned to you uh, the first week, um, as when I was a teenager, I was very disenchanted with church. I didn't like it. I thought it was old-fashioned. I thought it was boring. Um, I, was, I had planned my exodus um, to leave church once and for all. I was going to be in my rearview mirror, uh, never to return again. Um, but as uh, disenfranchised with church as I was as a teenager, that's how excited I am um, about the church today, about the potential of the church, about being a part of faith community, and what we can do as a church within our community to be a blessing, to preach the gospel to tell people the wonderful story about Jesus, but then also 
to just do really great stuff in our community, to be a blessing in our community. Matthew chapter 16. Now Jesus here in this portion of scripture is having a discussion about himself with his disciples. Let's read it here together. Matthew 16 verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? So they asked, Jesus said, Okay, who are people saying about me? They're saying this, or maybe you're this, maybe you're a return of one of the prophets. But then he asked his disciples, his followers, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail Against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the thing that Jesus is building. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his church on this understanding of who he is. That you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is what the church is built on. The cornerstone of this understanding. The scripture tells us um, in the book of Ephesians that Jesus is the cornerstone, that the church is built on Jesus. And then he builds it with us. He builds it, he built it with his disciples. Now, who were his disciples? Now, if we, if you go back and read the Gospels, were the disciples a bunch of perfect people? Did they do everything right all of the time? You know, if we think about Peter, you know, Peter suffered from foot-in-mouth disease. Now, not hand-and-foot disease, foot-in-mouth disease, the proverbial foot-in-mouth disease. In other words, he was always saying the wrong thing. Does anybody suffer with that disease this morning in the church? Okay, if I would ask your relatives, they would tell me a different story. That sometimes we don't say the right thing, or we say something over the top, or we, we don't uh, comment the right way. And Peter was always like this. Peter was always saying the wrong things and speaking too quickly. And then you had other the disciples who were like, um, you know, trying, Hey, Jesus, can we sit beside you in the kingdom of heaven? We want the power that you have. And so they were a little bit arrogant. Um, they weren't the perfect crew out there. But Jesus decided to build his church with imperfect people, and he's still doing that today with you and me. But Jesus is the cornerstone. That we have built our life in Christ and what Jesus has accomplished and what he's done, and the church continues to be built today. Now, the word build just means to erect to house. In other words, that we're going to build a house that the church should always be growing in number. And if you think about the church, Jesus' followers, it was him and uh, 12 of his closest followers. And if we take out Judas, there was 11. So it was just a, him and 11 people. And then it says there was a greater number, 70. And then on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 people came into the church. So the church started out very small, but has continued to grow today and is continuing to grow today. And just like our church, our church is growing. The church should continue to grow. So the church is building numerically, but then the church, that word to build up also means to edify. It also means just to strengthen. That God is strengthening individuals. That he's going to build his church. He's going to be building into people as he's building the church. Now when Jesus left his disciples, as he was leaving the earth, he gave marching orders for us. 
he gave his sort of last command, his last thing that he said to us, and it's found here in Matthew chapter 28. It's called the Great Commission, or we know it as the Great Commission. Verse 17, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So God provided salvation for us and for his followers. And then Jesus said to his disciples, go and make other disciples. Now that word disciple just means a learner. I'm a learner and then I'm going to go uh, make someone else become a learner. Now if we think about the church in general or if, or if we uh, maybe have a bird's eye view, uh, let's pretend that we weren't part of the church. And outsiders of the church, do people who are outside of the church always have a great view or do they look at people inside of the church and just think, you know, that's the most humble group of people in the world today? Would that be something that, we'd be, that we would be accused of as the church? That's just a humble group. But here, Jesus is saying that we're supposed to be reproducing ourselves. And what are we supposed to reproduce? be reproducing? Someone who is a learner. So then for us to be reproducing learners, we have to be learners ourselves. That we have to be saying, hey, I, I haven't arrived yet. I don't know everything. That I am still learning and growing. That this life that God has given to me in Christ still learning about it. I'm still growing. And the only way to still grow is to be humble. To not think you know everything. And to not think uh, you're the best thing since sliced bread. And to, to not think too highly of ourselves. That we could actually be, uh, we need to be humble. And we need to be growing and changing. Because that's what Jesus has called us to reproduce. That he's called us to reproduce disciples. So when we invite other people into a life of faith and we invite someone to church and we decide to help disciple somebody else what type of life are we inviting somebody into are we are we inviting people into just a religious form into just our traditions our, our specific church tra traditions whatever they may be do we um, say you have to do this in this tradition and you have to sing this way and you have to wear these clothes and you got to do this and then you will be invited into our tradition I know a lot of people think that way and a lot of people outside of the church, they just look into the church and it was just a lot of tradition. That's what I thought growing up, that church was just all about the traditions and all about, you know, just all of the stuff that had been handed down from previous generations. But is that the thing that Jesus is offering us as individuals? Is he offering us man-made tradition or is he offering us the thing that he talked about throughout his ministry? And this thing that he would talk about over and over again in his ministry, that he would call God Father. This bothered the religious people. Because they didn't have this intimate relationship with God. They had, and they would invite people into a system of rules and a system of traditions. And this and that and the other. But then Jesus showed up and he said, God is my Father. A totally different way to look at a relationship with God. And this is so important for us as Christ followers in 2016. That we're not trying to get people into our tradition and to love our tradition. That we want people to love God and know that God loves them. 
And that God invites them into this same intimate relationship that Jesus had with God. Matthew chapter 11, we'll see this described here. Now this is from the message paraphrase, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? This is what Jesus asks the people that are there that day. His disciples and his followers and the Pharisees. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Are you burned out on angry people? Are you burned out on just trying to maintain a tradition? What did Jesus say then? Hey, these, these people were just worn out. That they had um, taken the Old Testament laws and it had ballooned into 600 different laws that they had to follow. And if they didn't follow those laws... The religious leaders were mad at them and they thought God was then therefore mad at them. Jesus asked the question in the context of that worldview. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. That Jesus is inviting us into this relational idea with God. Jesus says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Now, I love that paragraph in the scripture. Jesus wasn't offering his followers, hey, I just want to let you know I'm starting a new religion. I'm starting a new system of rules. I know that's an old system of rules. Here's the new system of rules. No, Jesus say, hey, come to me. I'm going to show you how to live freely and lightly. I'm actually going to take away your sin. I'm going to take away the sin that keeps you from God. And then I'm going to invite you into life that's free from sin. The sin that's messing up your life. That you can live freely and lightly. See, and this is what we need to experience. And then this is what we offer other people as we want to build the church. Because people need to live this way. This is the way people are called to live. That God is inviting us into this relationship with him. Not just into, a, not just into traditions. Not just into a system of rules that God is calling us to enjoy life. He's calling us to enjoy a relationship with him that we would live freely and lightly. And this is how, this is what we want to offer to other people. That a life in God, that a life in Christ is a life that's free and light. It's not burdened and heavy. It's not some big struggle that, that I'm always struggling to make God happy with me by doing this and by doing this. And then one day maybe God will be happy with me. You know what the good news is today? That God is happy with you. That God does love you. That God does care about you. That he is actually interested in your life. Having an intimate relationship with you. And this is what we offer others. As we ourselves are being discipled, following Jesus, 
that we're living freely and lightly and then we're inviting others to come along with us to follow Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14. I read these, this verse last week. I just want to emphasize two different words this morning. John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Now last week I emphasized the idea of the word became flesh. That we take in the word of God and then we live out the word of God and that's the way we become the church. That, that's the way that we be the church. But I want to talk about these last few words here of this verse. It said that Jesus came and he was full of grace and truth. He was full of these two things. And if you go back and look at Jesus' life and ministry, you, we see these things emphasized. We see truth emphasized in his teaching. We see truth emphasized so that we can be transformed into his teaching. And then we see this thing called grace. He was full of both of these things. And we've talked about grace this morning. We sang about grace. What exactly is grace? And we talk about grace a lot. And the reason we do is because it's a wonderful thing that our salvation is based on grace. In, in simplest terms, the word grace just means unmerited favor. That we're going to receive something that we don't deserve. You receive something that you don't deserve. Religion says you're going to try to work for something and then one day you might get there. Grace says, I'm going to give it to you even though you don't deserve it and you don't qualify. Because that's the truth about all of us. We don't deserve it, and we don't qualify. No matter how long we've been in church. Grace. And we had some babies up on the stage this morning. And those of you that have children, why do you feed your children? Do they deserve it? When they were born, did they make your life easy? Huh? And you think, hey, you know what? You're just crying all the time and you're up at night. And you're contributing to society here at two months old. You deserve to eat breakfast this morning. Is that how we function with our children? You shouldn't if that's what you're doing. I'm just, we'll give some good parenting advice this morning. But children aren't that. In fact, they're a drag on everything. They're a drag on resources. If, you, if you're married and you don't have children yet, start your RSPs early. Because as soon as those kids are born, I'm telling you, it's expensive. It's expensive for your children to breathe. And, and then, you know, you gotta, buy di and then you gotta buy diapers and you gotta feed them and you gotta clothe them. You gotta do all these things. But you know what? They didn't deserve any of it. They haven't contributed anything to, to your family. And they won't for like years. A long time. They're not going to contribute anything to society for years to come. You're not going to have an intelligent conversation with them. Which is gonna, it's going to seem like forever. <clears throat> so why do we do what we do for our children? Because it's grace. We give it to them. We give it to them even when they don't deserve it. Jesus came 
full of grace and truth. And he died on the cross for us. And he gives us a relationship. This relationship that is started by grace. Now truth, we like truth. And the reason we like truth is we like to invoke truth on others. If anyone has ever, you know, if, if you ever have a, a, a deal with people in traffic. Now, you know, once in a while my wife will come home and she'll tell me about an experience that she'll have with people, you know, in a parking lot or something. And as I've told, you know, she's American, so it just, it's, it's, it's in her to like, you know, and I'm glad she can't carry a gun in Canada, so it's all good. Uh, but she has experiences with people. Um, and we all have experiences with people who like do stuff to us in their cars. And in those moments when people do things to us in their cars, do we want to give them grace? No, we want truth for them. <laughs> it is true that you have broken the law. It is true that you have offended me. It is true that you have cut me off. It is true that you are a really bad driver. We want people to be impacted by truth. Now, we, if we ever cut anybody off in traffic, as you know, it was a mistake, no big deal. Why are you giving me the double gun salute? Relax. You know, just take it easy. But if someone does it to us, we want to give them truth. But we deserve grace. Jesus came full of grace full of truth, full of both things. And this is for us as we build the church, as the church is being built in 2016. It's so important for us to have both of these things. That truth transforms us, that truth changes us as we follow Jesus. But how that starting place for us wasn't because we were following something legalistically. It's because initially we had been given grace. That God has given us grace. He's given us a place with Him because of His grace. Because of who He is, not because of who we are. There's a beautiful story here in John chapter 8 that illustrates this in Jesus' life and ministry. How Jesus is full of grace and truth. And I would say this is the only way for us to be in a relationship with somebody, to help disciple somebody in 2016, that we need both of these things. And we need to understand what both of these things are, so we don't get them out of order, and that we don't get angry with people who aren't following God yet, and then instead of offering them grace... As a first step, we're trying to offer them truth. And this has always been the church's struggle. That we want to offer society our truth before we offer them grace. Let's read about it here in John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down... To teach them. 
the teachers of the law brought, and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Now the question is, where was the man? Because it takes two for adultery, right? But now we've only got the woman. So we can think about that for a while. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. In other words, kill her, the death penalty. Now, what do you say? They're asking him. Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, they didn't actually want to know the answer. But do you know that if you think about this whole story, what were they thinking that Jesus was going to do to this woman? Because they were trying to trap him, that he was going to go against the law of Moses, that he was actually going to offer this woman some grace, that he was going to offer this woman some forgiveness, and they were going to accuse him now if he did that. So they gave him a binary option. The law says this, what do you say? So it's kind of like, you know, they're trying to catch him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. Now, I love this detail. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, the older ones in the group knew that they were beat. The younger idealistic ones are still trying to, like, oh, I want to throw a rock at her. I want to kill her. She's guilty. I want to get her. And the oldest ones were like, oh, I'm out. Why? Because all of us know, based on this question, that we're all guilty. That we don't actually have, none of us have a moral right in this room to throw a stone at any sinner. Do we now? Why? Because we know ourselves. We know our own struggles. We know our own shortcomings, if we're honest. And we can look at someone else's sin and we'll think, well, that's worse than my sin. My sin is just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And we'll look at someone else's sin. I just want to throw rocks at that person. But here Jesus is presenting us with this question. So who are we in the story today as we think about building the church. Who are we in this story as we think about inviting people into the community of faith? Are we wanting to invite people into the community of faith so that we can accuse them of their sin? No, that was the religious leaders. Just someone to be mad at? Just so we can be mad at the city? Just so we can be mad at the country? Just so we can be mad at the people who aren't following God's laws? Just be angry at them and throw rocks at them. Jesus said, 
those of us without sin, we get to throw the first rock. He humbles us all with that statement, doesn't he? That following Jesus is not about getting to throw rocks at people. Throwing verbal jabs out at the world. Because we don't agree with them. We have a different worldview than with them. So we're just going to lob stones at them. So what did Jesus do with this woman? He's full of grace and truth. Let's read it. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Listen to what Jesus says. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. Grace, I don't condemn you. Truth, leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. Grace. Salvation. Now go leave your life of sin. Truth. Discipleship. We got to start at the starting place. We can't start by lobbing rocks at people. We got to start with this grace that God gives to us all. That we don't qualify, we, we don't qualify in our own goods, we don't qualify to throw rocks at anybody. The only reason that we're called Christians, Christ followers, is because God has given us grace. Not because we've achieved perfection, because we haven't. We have this place with God. We're called sons and daughters. How do we get there? grace born into the family it's a wonderful gift and then God does things for you that you just don't deserve just like you do for your kids he's full of grace and truth Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 22 says this. We're almost done. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So all those things are talking about our relationship with God. But once again, our relationship with God is just not me. That my relationship with God, He's called us to be part of the people of God. It was the very first paragraph we read this morning. I'm not just a person, but I'm part of the people. The people of God. The church. The group. The gathering. Hey, we've got all these wonderful things. We have assurance of faith. Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope, our expectation about our life in God. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more 
as you see the day drawing near. Verse 24. Underlined it there for you. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So when we gather together, as I mentioned last week, we're not just consuming church services. We're gathering together to worship and lift up Jesus to grow. But then we're also going to, what are we going to do? We're going to inspire each other to love. And we're going to inspire one another to do good things. How are we going to do that? We're going to have to give grace to each other. Because if you've been in a relationship with anybody for more than five minutes, you know that you have to give that person grace once in a while. Amen? Because why? And they need to give you grace. Why? Because you just... We just struggle. We're just... We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. We make wrong choices sometimes. But when we gather together, we can inspire each other to love. We can inspire one another by showing love, by giving grace, and then inspiring each other just to do good things for each other. This is a counter-cultural community that does what? Uh, we're going to inspire each other to love. And we're going to inspire each other to do good works. We're going to do that in here. And then we're going to do it in our community. Just a couple practical things for you. As we talk about building the church. How do I, as an individual Christ follower, how do I build the church? Very simple thing. Attend. Be a part. Be a part of what we do on a Sunday. Be a part when we do events. Uh, get in a serving team. Get in a group. All of these things will help you to do the thing that we just read there in Hebrews. That what? We're going to inspire each other to love and we're going to inspire each other to do good things. So being a part of community. That's what church is. It's a community of faith. Give. Have an attitude of giving. Give of yourself. Give love. Give joy. Give smiles. Give service. Give of your resources. All of these things. Man, we're a part of community of faith that we just get to be a giver. That God is a giver. That He models generosity for us by giving us Jesus. So we follow after Him pray that we would pray for one another scripture talks about in James just simple phrases hey if somebody's sick pray pray for one another that you would be healed if you've you got a struggle with something hey you can confess it to somebody at the church and we can pray for each other all of these things will build the church and then the very last obvious one is bring someone Bring someone who doesn't go to church. Be specific about it in your mind. We're talking about discipleship. Who's that one person in your life that you could think about that over the next year you could have a conversation with them or you talk to them and say, hey, you know, come with me to my church this weekend. And on a Monday they're like, you know, what did you do this weekend? 
You might even want to say, I went to church yesterday. And then think about who that person is. And pray and ask God to help you to disciple that person. To bring that person into a relationship with Jesus. To bring that person into community. Why? Because they belong here. They belong in the family of God just like you do. Last verses as we finish off this series. What is our message? What is it that we are as Christ followers? Who are we in the family of God? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. I love these verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave it to the church. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors. Now, ambassadors didn't work in this series because it doesn't start with B, but we are ambassadors for Christ. We're carriers of the message. God making his appeal through us, through you and me, there is no plan B for God other than the church. That God has, is presenting his message through the church. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm just going to read verse 19 one more time. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What is the message of reconciliation? God is not mad at you. He has forgiven your sin. He's not trying to shame you or put you down. He's not trying to make you feel bad. He loves you. He offers you grace. He has forgiven your sin. He loves you. And he wants to give you what you don't deserve. He wants to give you a life in him. A life that you can't qualify for. This is the message to the world. God offers us grace. He offers us a relationship with him. And then within his truth, man, we follow after him and our life is changed. Our life is transformed into the image of Christ. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are your church in 2016. We just love you today. We're so thankful for your grace today, Lord, that we walk in your grace, that we live in your grace. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.